gates open, off and Skyly Sensory stayed in the gate. There's Bo Rogue being set alight immediately by Cyril Small and racing to the lead. But Bo Rogue won't give up, he's still in front. Groucho's grabbing him now. Groucho coming at Bo Rogue, don't play, getting a rails run. Bo Rogue in front, he's got a heart as big as himself. He'll win, Bo Rogue! This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and the High Gang Group. The Australian Turf Club has a ready-made draw card for the third day of the championships in the fabulous filly Fireburn, who'll attempt to win the two-year-old Triple Crown when she steps up to 1,600 metres in the Mowat and Shondon Champagne Stakes. The little filly has already created a romantic tale of the turf. Nobody wanted her sire, Rebel Dane, when he retired from the track, while her dam Mullover was one of several inexpensive mares purchased to give him a modern start at the stud. Fireburn carries the colours of Laurel Oak Bloodstock, whose founder and managing director Louis Mahika has been bringing hundreds of smaller owners into the game for more than three decades. Completing the fairy tale is the fact that jockey Brenton Abdullah is on the comeback trail following a long injury and forced layoff. It's a promoter's dream. The Laurel Oak homebred shooting for the two-year-old Grand Slam, the slipper, the sires, and the champagne stakes. It's been achieved six times so far with only one filly on the honour roll and that was Burst 30 years ago. Co-feature on April 16 will be the time-honoured Sweps All-Age Stakes but it will take a pretty good story to take the star billing away from Fireburn on the final day of the championships. During my race calling days I was privileged to act as guest commentator at many New South Wales Country Cup meetings and it was always great to catch up with old friends, a delight to see country racing at its best and to appreciate the talents of some fine bush trainers and jockeys. During many trips to the Grafton July Carnival, I saw some outstanding race riding from local star John Hutchings, who more than held his own against the invasion of top riders from Sydney and Brisbane during the July Carnival. John has lived in Grafton all his life. As a professional jockey, he provided great service to owners and trainers in the North and North West for more than 32 years, accumulating 1,470 career wins. He won a total of nine NRRA premierships, three of them as an apprentice. John was 47 when he decided to escape the rigours of wasting and travelling. He planned his departure for the final day of the 1996 July Carnival and fittingly he went out with a winner. As a parting gesture to all the punters who'd held him in high regard for many years, John got a $2.50 favourite called Marland home in a 1400 metre maiden. The punters were sorry to see him go, as were the many owners and trainers in northern New South Wales who'd respected his talents for three decades. After retirement, he didn't let the grass grow under his feet. For 20 years, he operated his own floor sanding business. Today, as he approaches his 73rd birthday, John works a 30-acre farm on the outskirts of Grafton, where... To use his own words, he runs a few head of cattle and grows a bit of loosen. It's a great pleasure 
to welcome to the podcast one of the best bush jockeys of his generation, John Hutchings. Good morning, John. Great to talk, mate. Well, you quit the saddle in 1996 because you were sick of the wasting, uh, but you tell me your weight has stabilised over the years. You're not much heavier right now than you were in your riding days. No, I could probably ride about 55 at the moment. Goodness me. What do you put that down to? Uh, well, I think not riding so many. When I was riding, I used to ride a lot of horses' work, probably 20 horses' work of a morning, mm. and it just you make you build muscle, mm. and muscle weighs heavy, so I think that was half the trouble. Yeah. Well, you've got just enough to do these days to keep yourself fit and focused. You've got six acres there under Lucen, uh, which you bail and you make available to the local racing community. They come and pick it up, do they? Yes, yeah. It, that, that's if it's good enough, you know, about the horse standard. Otherwise, it just goes to Catalyte. Right, yeah, and all this recent rain uh, wouldn't do it much good, would it? No, it's bad. bad season for hay, mm. especially in grafting because we have lots of fogs and, and high humidity and it stops it from drying properly. Mm. Well, wasting wasn't the only thing you did to keep yourself in the saddle. Like many jockeys, you lived on salads, you took those rotten fluid pills and appetite suppressors. Very unhealthy, very dangerous. Thank goodness you gave it away before it did any damage. Yeah, they didn't do me any damage. And uh, I wouldn't pass a drug test today. (laughs) 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 Yeah, it's very different, isn't it? Yeah. Well, having said that, you did experience a little heart trouble about six years ago when tests revealed a substantial blockage in the main artery. Doctors inserted a stent and away you went again and there's been no trouble since. No, no. Once I had the stent put in, well, I had 80% blockage in main artery. Mm. But since I've had the stent, I've had no problems at all. It's a reminder though, John, isn't it? It's a wake-up call. Yeah, it certainly is. Every Everybody should get a check-out for their heart. Mm. Well, your wonderful wife, Julie, is heavily involved in local racing. She's one of few women in Australia to have participated as a race club director. She's been on the board of the Clarence River Jockey Club for 25 years, and her input has been very significant. Yeah, that's right. She's worked hard. And she's got on there to try and improve things for for women, uh, you know, for race days, for women with little children and babies and somewhere to change babies' nappies and things like that. Mm. No, great, great stuff. You and Julie are the proud parents of two boys, John, Courtney and Shannon, and you tell me neither have inherited the racing bug. No, they, they were more interested in a different horsepower, got motorbikes. <laughs> were they? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do they ever go to the races? Uh, occasionally, occasionally, not, not very often, though. Mm. No, they're more interested in racing bikes than horse racing. Let's look back on your life in the Jacaranda City. 
Your dad, Howard, was a butcher and he had little interest in racing. But your brother, Warren, was an apprentice jockey for a short time. Coincidentally, he was indentured to Ron Gosling, who was also your master. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we rode to, and we were both very competitive against each other. Well, yeah. Well, there was a story you told me once about a couple of protests in which both you and Warren were involved. How did that play out? Well, I, we were both riding stable horses. I was on the favourite, and Warren got up and beat me. Yeah. He, he caused me a little bit of interference, and I protested against him. Successfully? No. Right. No, I didn't. The steward at the time told me, brother, he said, you won the race, son, now you've got to keep it. <laughs> Did he? Yeah. And what was the other, the other occasion? Well, about a month after that, mm. uh, I beat him in a race and then he protested against me. Right. That was unsuccessful. Yeah, a long odds about that happening. In one family, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah, well, it made headlines in the Sydney paper at that time. I recall, yeah. Well, Ron Gosling, your boss, was a very successful trainer on the rivers and he was a friendly sort of a bloke, wasn't he, John? I can remember running into him every year in July. Always came around to say hello. Yeah, he, he was, you know, pretty friendly, friendly with most people, mm. but... If he got, he used to get upset sometimes. He'd sort of lose his temper a bit. Would he? I, I, yeah. I never saw that side of him. <laughs> <laughs> you had three rides on the occasion of your first day at the races. One of them ran second, and that horse I recall racing in Sydney, Count Delville. You must have got him when his Sydney days were over. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well. Mr. Russell, Ted Russell owned him from uh, Kosabi, owned the Plantation Hotel. Mm. And my boss, Ron, he, he trained all these horses in the country. Mm. And, that, and uh, that, it, he ran second. That was my first ride. No, old Ted used to say to me, he said, you, you cost me a fortune teaching you to ride, he said, because <laughs> I, I, I was only an apprentice and he used to put me on to teach me, but he said, cost, you, cost me a fortune to teach you to ride. He was a wonderful bloke, Ted Russell. I remember him so well. Loved his racing. Uh, I can still see his colours going around there at all of the northern meetings, yellow with the green sash. And he played a major part, John, in resurrecting, for want of a better word, the Coffs Harbour Race Club. The old Coffs Harbour track was virtually swampland, wasn't it? for many, many yeah. years, and Ted led the charge to rejuvenate it and get the licence back. Yeah, that's right. He got Kosaba Racing going again at that time. Mm. Well, it took you 20 rides to ride your first winner, and that was a horse called Love Set, trained by Ron Gosling, and you went all the way to Casino to do it. Yeah, Love Set, she won an eighth division at Casino. Mm. Hardly a star-studded event. No, it wasn't. It was a pretty low-rated low race, but yeah, but it was a winner. You thought it was the Melbourne Cup, I'll bet, on the day. Yeah, I thought it was great on the day. You enjoyed a tremendous apprenticeship and you were getting huge support from a wide range of stables in the north, 
but you put plenty back in, mate. You'd ride anything up to 20 horses a morning, six days a week. Yeah, that's a grafting, yeah. I used to ride a lot of track work. Mm. Well, there was a lot of, lot of uh, trainers in grafting at that time and not many track work riders. So you'd be going from first light till breakfast time? Yeah, I'd be going till about 8.30, 9 o'clock of the morning. Mm. You had a few role models in that era, among other jockeys, but there was one who greatly inspired you, and I'm talking about the lanky bloke from Inverell. Leon Fox. Yeah. Yeah, always looked up to Leon. Great rider. Yeah, great rider. And I never forget one day I was riding against him at Inverell and he put me in a pocket and kept me there for about three furlongs and then away he went and he won the race and I run second. Yeah. I bet that wasn't the first time he did it. Well, it was the first time to me. I never let him do it again. (laughs) (laughs) You learned your lesson. How fitting it was, John, that later on you rode a number of winners for Leon when he became a trainer. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I I used to pick up a few rides for him when he came to Grafton. He'd uh, be an understanding trainer to ride for, I'd imagine. He knew all the pitfalls and all the things that could go wrong. Uh, He wouldn't be the type to give you a dressing down when you came back on one. No, no, he he, he always, he could always sort of tell what happened in the race and he'd he'd never sort of run you down or go mad or anything. Every jockey up your way dreams of winning one or both legs of the Grafton double and thankfully you won both. You won the 1990 Ramoni on Tiny's Finito, and we'll talk about him in a moment, and the 1983 Grafton Cup on a horse called Ward's Mistake. Now, we'll look at Ward's Mistake first, John, because we need to spend a bit of time on Tiny's Finito. Ward's Mistake was trained by Ron Gosling's brother, Bob. He raced 86 times. He won 16, and you rode him in five of those wins. Amazingly, your first win on Ward's Mistake was at Rose Hill, and he bolted in. Yeah, that was a midweek. It was uh, was only a, a low-grade race, but it was a midweek race at Rose Hill. Mm. He must have had a bit on him. He won by a big margin. Yeah, I, I don't think the opposition was very strong that day. <laughs> there was a few other country horses in that race that day. Right. He wasn't fancied in the 1983 Grafton Cup and he actually started at $51 and you got there by a whisker. I think the margin was a nose. Did you think he was a $51 chance going into the race? Not really because he, he had pretty he had form leading up to the Grafton Cup, mm. which was, you know, was fair. And he just peaked on the Grafton Cup day. Did you think you'd won? It was a very close finish. Well, I wasn't really sure whether I'd won or not that day. It mm. was so close. Well, Johnny, he seemed to go forever because two years later you won the Coffs Harbour Cup on him in another close finish. He loved a photo finish. At Coffs Harbour, he beat a 
pretty good New Zealand horse called Rush Cutter. Cuba's Gold ran third, and who should ride the runner-up? The great Peter Cook. Yeah, that was another really close finish. There's another time I did. I wasn't sure whether I'd won or not. Mm. Well, that was a nice double. The Grafton and Coffs Harbour Cups, two years apart, amazingly. Yes. Yeah, well, I, he, and I don't think he won many races in between either. No, he didn't. I had a look at his record. Maybe one or two, but not as many as you would expect from a dual cup winner. No, yeah, it's, he sort of got to his best when he was at 2,000 metres or a little bit further. Mm. That's right, and races over that trip aren't all that common in the country areas. No. No, there wasn't a lot of distance racings in the country. Ward's Mistake was raced by Kevin Mulligan and Mick Moy, a former chairman of the Clarence River Jockey Club and a one-time member of the New South Wales TAB board. A true gentleman of the turf was Mick Moy. Yes, and very shrewd man, a good auctioneer, and he's well respected in the racing. Actually, they, they, nearly, bro- they nearly broke the TAB in Grafton that day. When Ward's they mistake won? Yeah, they run out of money at the TAB in Grafton. <laughs> because, I think because uh, the priest tipped him at the, at the mass a few days before. Was that Father Frank Mulcahy? Yes, he was, a, and he was a committee member too. <laughs> he was. Every Grafton Cup morning he'd preside over a special mass and he would always offer his cup tip. <laughs> and he tipped a few winners over the years too. Yeah, he tipped Ward's a mistake. Yeah, and broke the local tab. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, every now and again you'll get a tough bush horse who keeps winning season after season. Horses like River Ridge and Jimalong and Aquazov. And then there was Tiny's Finito, who was trained out of a paddock at Gleninus by Walter Doolan. He raced 83 times, he won 40 races and almost $800,000. John, you rode him, as you'd be well aware, in 22 of those wins. And you got on him by default. Alan Abrahams had been riding him, but he preferred to pass him up in the 1989 Moree Cup. I think he'd been offered a lot of good rides down the coast. Yeah, well, he had. I think he had five rides at Port Macquarie mm. that, and only one at Moree, and he thought Tiny couldn't win the Cup because the track was had the sting out of it. Yeah. And he had a fair, fair weight. So he, he decided to go to Port Macquarie and the owners rang me up to ride Tiny at, in the Moree Cup, which I won on. And then couldn't and then, get you off. <laughs> yeah, then couldn't get me off. <laughs> oh, he was a marvellous old horse. Well, that was a shocking decision by Alan Abrams, wasn't it? And I'm sure it's one he's regretted ever since. I would think so, yes. Well, I Alan- said poor Alan got killed in a car accident a few years after that. Oh, dear. Yeah, well, he's, Lady Luck deserted him more than once. Alan Abrams, yeah. he rode a lot of winners too, didn't he, in his heyday? 
Yeah, he rode a lot around the, around this area mm. and was a good rider. John, at a glance, this is what you and Tiny Sfinito achieved together. Two more E-Cups, a Group 3 Lightning at Eagle Farm, the listed BATC Sprint twice, the Ramoni, the listed Doomben Stakes, the listed Mercedes-Benz, also the Bribey Handicap, you went to Toowoomba to win the famous Wheatwood Handicap, and you won the gold market on the Gold Coast. That was one of his best wins, wasn't it? He beat Don't Play, a very, very good horse, and beat him out of sight that day. Yeah, and I think he also ran an Australasian record that day, Did the he? 1,400 metres. Mm. You remember the, the day well? He must have given you a great feel. Yeah, I do. I remember it well, and he... Well, he was always travelling well in that, and they tried to take take him on with Don't Play, but mm. he was just too good. He had a few quirky habits, didn't he? Um, he lived in a paddock at Glen Innes, and on occasions he flatly refused to be caught. Yeah, I know early of the morning I'd be wanting to load him up to take him to Brisbane, and he did He'd be running around the paddock in the dark. He didn't want to be caught. <laughs> so Plus, he, he'd have to jump over a plough here or there or dodge a bit of farm machinery around the place. Yeah, knew his way around. Yeah. Yeah. When he raced in Brisbane, John, I believe uh, Walter Doolan would leave Glen Innes at four o'clock in the morning and he'd head home straight after his race rather than leave him overnight in Brisbane. Apparently he used to fret uh, when he was away overnight. Yeah, he didn't like going away, travelling. Sometimes he would stay overnight and go home the next morning, mm. but he'd never go away and stay anywhere for a period of time because he just wouldn't eat. No. Well, this aversion to being away from home was the reason he had only three starts in Sydney. He ran third in the Lightning Stakes at Randwick to West Dancer. You ran fourth in the Apollo Stakes, only three lengths behind a very good mare in Triskay. And in the third run, he was never sighted. Uh, but you've, uh, I mean, they were, they're tidy runs. You're finishing three lengths behind a mare like Triskay in the Apollo. Yeah, and that's at the time when she was going at her best, too. Absolutely and- flying, yeah. Yeah. Well, the year before, uh, you rode him in a Stradbroke. The Stradbroke won by Plush Embassy, but it was a very, very heavy track. Under today's rating, John, it'd be a heavy 10. He didn't like that. No, well, when he won the Lightning, he went into the Stradbroke favourite until it rained. Right. And then... Once it rained, he, he was any price after that, but he was favourite for the Stradbroke mm. be, before the rain come. Now, most people listening to us would assume that Tiny Finito was the best horse John Hutchings ever rode. Is that the case? No. <laughs> Kingston Town. <laughs> come on. Come on. <laughs> you better explain no. that well, one. That- well, when Kingston Town finished racing, they travelled him around the country. Yeah. 
for exhibition gallops. Right. And I, I happened to be chosen to ride him at Grafton for an exhibition gallop down the straight. But he was getting knocked up by then. He wouldn't go any faster than half pace for me down the straight. Yeah. So what did you do, John? You trotted up to the home turn, turned and cantered down the straight. Yeah. Well, I suppose the gallop, but he, he, he wouldn't get out of half pace. He was getting, getting sick of it by then, I think. But, gee whiz, isn't that something to tell the grandkids? Yeah. I imagine you would have been very honoured and very privileged uh, to be asked to do the job on the day. Uh, there'd yeah, have been jockeys well, I, queuing up, wouldn't there? Yes, I think there was. But I, and, uh, well, I have the trainer that was he was in care of, uh, Jim Fletcher. Mm-hmm. And I used to ride for Jim. That's probably something to do with how I got on him. Right. Yeah, David Haynes, who owned Kingston Town, was very generous uh, with his, uh, you know, his uh, payback to the public after the horse finished his illustrious racing career. He allowed Kingston Town, who was a gelding, by the way, uh, to be carted all over Australia. He even turned up in Alice Springs on one occasion. Yeah, yeah, I know he travelled a, a wide area. I think when when he was at Grafton, he'd come from North Queensland down to Grafton. Yeah, oh, he, he he was everywhere. And then he retired to a place called Merrick's North uh, on the outskirts of Melbourne where David Haynes had a property. And I went there one day to do a television story on Kingston Town two or three years after his retirement and they had him in a lush paddock with a simple sign on the gate. And the sign simply said, The King's Paddock. <laughs> That'd yeah. be appropriate for him. Lovely touch. I mentioned you won the Ramoni on Tiny Finito, and you ran second in another Ramoni on a very smart mare called Surrah Queen. Clifton Bridge won that one. And Sarah Queen was owned by the man we were talking about earlier, the late, great Ted Russell. Yeah, well, Sarah Queen, she was also uh, done her most of her racing in Sydney mm. and won a, won a few races in Sydney. And then she was sent up to Grafton to be trained for a while. In the 1960s and 70s, The atmosphere at Grafton over those two days of the July Carnival was quite unique. Huge crowds, massive excitement and big betting, John. Do you remember the year Big Butch won the Grafton Cup? There were 102 bookmakers operating on course that day. 102 bookies at a country cup meeting. Amazing. Yes, it was... Lots of bookies used to get to Grafton at one stage. Even Victorian bookies would apply for a special licence. Yeah, they would come from everywhere for Grafton. And it, it, I think they used to come and stay because, you know, everybody would come to Grafton and stay for a month. Yeah. They'd travel here with horses and race and stay for a month. But, but these days, they, they come here on the day and gone because I think it's too expensive for accommodation and everything. That's right. It's a fleeting visit nowadays. 
John, I'll get you to stand by there for a moment while we clear a commitment on the podcast. We'll be back with you after this. Mitovite has been producing high-quality feeds and supplements for all walks of equine life for almost 40 years. Mitovite has become a household name in racing and breeding circles with products like Athlete, Formula 3 and Breeder, time-tested products in the breeding barn and on the racetrack. 26 thoroughbred Group 1 winners this season have been on a Mitovite feeding regime. From humble beginnings on the New South Wales Central Coast, Mitovite has become a world leader in equine nutrition. Infrastructure investment in the production mill and close attention to nutritional science keeps Mitovite at a standard of excellence developed over four decades. Check the website, mitovite.com, or follow the Mitovite Racing and Breeding Facebook page. The Mitovite brand has earned the respect of horse people all over the world. You rode a very interesting horse called Vibes in the early 1980s. He was trained at Coffs Harbour by a former jockey, Roy Williams, who got you to ride him in a race at Warwick Farm one day, and in winning that race, he set some sort of a record, didn't he? Yes, he was the oldest entire to win in the metropolitan area. Mm. And I th- at the time, I think he was 12-year-old. Yeah, a stallion. And still yeah. racing with a fair bit of enthusiasm, wasn't he? Yeah. But he, even though he was 12-year-old, he never had a great lot of starts through, through his career. No. No, lightly raced. You won another one on him after that at Gosford, and you've never forgotten the circumstances of that one. No, well... The favourite in the race, the jockey fell off coming out of the barrier. <laughs> and it caused trouble. The horse in was, well, it was leading, but it was running off in front of all the horses coming behind it, yeah. just just weaving across the track. But mm. it won the, it was, it won the race, but mm. I, Bides run second, but officially the winner. And he checked you, did he, once or twice? Yes. Mm. Yeah, he got in the road a couple of times. Yeah. Loudspeaker was a nice horse you got to ride late in your career. You won three races on him. He was by Luskin Star. Uh, I think you won at Grafton, you won at the Gold Coast, and didn't you win a Tamworth Cup on Loudspeaker? Yeah, yeah, he won the Tamworth Cup. And that day Edgar Britt was there to present the trophy. Was he? The great Edgar Britt, yeah. Yeah. Well, that was a thrill for you. You'd have been well aware of Edgar's marvellous achievements over many years. Yes, I was, yes. Mm, I was going to get on to another old timer you won a lot of races on up there, Recto, who was trained by Ron Gosling. You knocked up winning races on him. Yeah, he won 30 races, actually. And uh, we got him out of the paddock at uh, near Narrabri, what? Ralph Hunt owned him, actually. Ralph Hunt, he was a, mi- a minister in mm. the parliament. Yeah. And he said he wasn't quick enough to catch sheep out there. That's right. That's right. And he ended up winning 30 races. Goodness me. He put it all together late in life. Yeah, that's, yeah. It was, it was about three or four-year-old before he even won a race. You got a huge thrill in 1993 
when selected by the Australian Jockey Club to represent your country in a two-race international promotion in the Philippines at two different tracks. It was part of the Asian Racing Conference of that year and the AJC elected to go with a top country jockey rather than try to entice one of the big-name riders from Sydney or Melbourne. What an honour for John Hutchings. Yes, it, well, I was really pleased about that. And was all expenses paid sort of 10 days in the Philippines. Yeah. And we used to, we had, of course, we had to go and ride track work every morning. Mm-hmm. And the trainers over there, they'd bring lead their horse out for you to hop on and ride track work. Mm-hmm. And while they were doing that, they'd have a little their little fighting rooster. They'd peg him out on the grass to have a pick while his horse was working. <laughs> the fighting rooster. Yeah, they all had little little roosters over there. They'd have the horse on one side and the rooster tucked under their arm. Yeah. And they'd leg you on the horse, and then they they had a little chain and a peg. And they'd peg their rooster in the grass to have a feed, have yeah. a pick while you were riding track work. Different culture. You know, it was hard to get you out of Grafton to go to Sydney or Brisbane, so it was a hell of a job to get you to the Philippines. Oh, I had a bit, I had a fair bit of persuasion from the wife. Yeah, Julie went along, of course, yeah. Yeah. There were two yeah. races in the series. You ran second in one of them and you were still in front a couple of strides from home. Yeah, I was in front. Well, I got to the front just after we straightened, but I was in front almost all the way to the bloody Korean come along and beat me right on the line. Oh, yeah. New Zealand had a representative in the series. Yeah, Eddie Wilkerson. He was he was representing New Zealand. Yeah, the much-travelled Eddie Wilkinson. He's been everywhere. Yeah. And there was jockeys from Turkey, the, the, the jockey from Turkey rode about 4,000 winners and mm. there was a jockey from Japan who rode up over 5,000 winners. Goodness me, yeah. Now, there's one funny little story about the trip. The president of the Philippines at that time was Fidel Ramos, who'd been in the sights of several guerrilla groups who were trying to get him out of office. Now, security on the roads around Manila was very tight, and you and Julie and other visitors were being driven in buses to a local stud farm and being plied with San Miguel beer uh, during the journey. Now, the San Miguel, you tell me, activated a few bladders on board the bus. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, that's that's right. And, well, it was a convoy of ten buses, Mm. and... They weren't allowed to stop until they reached their destination. But there was a few weak bladders on the bus. At any rate, at this, Julie said, look, go down and ask the driver to stop. She said, I've I got to go. <laughs> at any rate, I, went, I walked down to the driver and he said, no, no, I, I can't stop. We're not allowed to stop. And I went back to the seat and then Julie said, I'll go and talk to him. And I don't know what she said to him. Plenty. But he stopped any rate. <laughs> yeah. And when he, when he stopped, after he stopped, I think there was about 
20 people all got off the bus wanting to go to the toilet. Goodness me. You had special admiration for several country trainers uh, for whom you rode over the years, none more so than the late Keith Swan, who trained out of a little place called Summerton. Highly regarded by everybody in racing, Keith Swan, and you rode many winners for him. Yeah, I rode lots of winners for Keith, especially when he came. He used to come down to Grafton and he'd stay a month or more Mm. over the carnival, and I was lucky enough to pick up rides for him. Keith trained the horse that gave you your first ride in the metropolitan area. It was a horse called Lettergram, and she was in a minor race at Randwick on Easter Saturday, 1966, the day George Moore won the Doncaster on Cetius. Now, John, just take your mind back, and I almost 60 years ago, when you sat down in the jockey's room at Randwick, it must have been an overwhelming experience for a 17-year-old from Grafton. Yeah, it was really, because there was that many great jockeys there on, on that day. And I, I'd i gone down because I had a, a seven-pound allowance. I never rode in the metropolitan area. Mm-hmm. And I went down to ride Lettergram for Keith to claim seven pounds. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there was George Moore and Ray Selcrid and Apple Marley and all, all those great Sydney jockeys. Ray Selkrieg, with whom you became pretty friendly, rode at Grafton some time after that, and you were telling me a little story the other day. He tried to prevent you from doing something very silly in the home straight. Yeah, well, there was a little, as a run up in front of me. He he was on out. He Ray was on the outside of me, mm. and there was a small gap in front of me. And he must have saw that I was going to go for it. He said, don't go up there, son. And Did I he... didn't take any notice of him. And I clipped the heels of the one in front and nearly come down. Ooh, he was right. But, well, he saw what was going to happen before I did. Mm. Good lesson. Yes. Mm. You know, you had an opportunity to come to Randwick on one occasion, but the thought of city life put you off. Who was the trainer who made the offer? Uh, Hill, Tommy Hill, Tommy Hill. Yeah, he was. He was. He tried to talk me boss into sending me down to him, mm. but I didn't want to go. I had the chance, but I didn't want to. I, I could have went down to ride for Cyril Kearns too at the time. Oh. he had Sandy's Hope and Royal Display, a couple of good horses. Mm. See, John, you're very much in the mould of jockeys like Greg Ryan and Robert Thompson, both of whom are retired now, but, uh, I mean, they dominated in their respective regions in the country areas. Both had more than one opportunity to come to Sydney. Didn't want any part of the place. Yeah, well, I just didn't like the city. Uh, I'd, I'd prefer to be in the country. You had an enormous number of rides in 32 years and you suffered the inevitable injuries. You had more broken collarbones than you can remember. A few broken ribs. You had one nasty foot injury when you hit the running rail one day. In fact, you didn't realise how bad it was at the moment of impact, did you? No, I didn't know until 
after the races, really, because uh, my foot swelled up and I couldn't get my boot off, so I just kept riding all day. And then after that, I had to cut it off. To... Mm. But I broke my foot in five places. That put you out for a while? Yeah, but it was, a, it was what happened. The running rail sort of came apart and there was a gap between them. Uh. And that's, I was pushed in onto the fence and me foot sort of hit the gap and that's when it broke. Mm. And the collarbones, how many broken collarbones? Uh, about four broken collarbones. It must have been the way I fell off. <laughs> the and way, a, few bro- yeah. a, a few broken ribs. Yeah. But looking back. Could have been no, worse. No broken limbs or anything, luckily. No, never broken arm or a leg, which I find staggering. Yeah, never had a broken arm or leg. John, the worst fall in Grafton's history occurred in 1976 when 10 of 15 horses came down near the 800 metres mark and tragically a young jockey called Peter Shoemaker lost his life. And you were in a coma for 24 hours. Yeah, that's right. I got knocked out in that fall. And, but I had a, a, the imprint of a, a plate on me forehead for about a week after, after that fall. Mm. A Took biz- all the skin off me nose. Yeah. That was a bizarre legacy of the accident, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Kosciuszko winning trainer John Shelton is a member of your family. In fact, uh, John's partner Kay happens to be Julie's sister. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, John's my brother-in-law. You rode plenty of winners for him too when he first came over from Glen Innes. Yeah, right. I used to get pick up the odd ride, ride a few winners for him. Mm. I did a podcast recently with Sky Racing presenter and a former jockey, Gary Cleesey, who had some very nice things to say about you in the interview. Gary won three premierships himself, so he knows what he's talking about. And he tells me that you and Graham Burney were, without a doubt, the two northern jockeys he most respected. Oh, that is very good of him. <laughs> yeah, we... we... We're very com- competitive against each other, the three of us actually. Mm. And and Scott Seymour was also in that lot. Yes. Yeah. Well, Gary, Gary, well, he beat me by half a win in the prem- premiership one one year. You were riding at different places too, weren't you? Yeah. Well, on the final day, Gary was at. Lismore, I think, or Ballinor, and I, I was at Grafton. Mm. And it was toe-to-toe all day. All day, and he finally he got, up in the, he got up in the last race to win by half a win. Yeah. Couldn't have happened to a nicer bloke. <laughs> no. Julie no. was telling me, John, you sold most of your floor sanding equipment, but you decided to hang on to one machine just in case. And in talking to Julie the other day, I got the impression she's planning a refurbishment of your floors at home. So you better stand by. Yeah, well, that's the only reason I kept it, just so I knew my 
house was going to be due to be done shortly, so I uh, I just kept one machine to do it, and then that's gone. I'm sure you haven't lost your skill. No, once you got the knack of doing it, you always got it. I can't believe, John, all those years have gone by since I was calling you riding winners over that wonderful Grafton July Carnival. You were held in the highest regard as a jockey and as a bloke by all sections of the racing industry, and it's been an absolute delight renewing acquaintances on the podcast after such a long time. Thank you very much for joining us on a Sunday morning. Good. Thanks very much for ringing me, John. I appreciate that a lot. John Hutchings, former champion, country-based jockey on a podcast produced by Supernova Sound. Trainers strive to have horses spot on for race day. Fuel cells up, the right mental state, the right fitness levels. Equally important is the horse's capacity to recover quickly from racing and track work. The aim is to give owners every opportunity to win optimum prize money by keeping a horse in training for as long as possible. High Gain Recuperate is a powerful blend of electrolytes, B-group vitamins and vitamin E in paste form which can be administered after fast work and in the days leading up to a race to assist recovery. 30ml of Recuperate drawn from the 500ml bulk pack is the economical alternative to individual electrolyte and vitamin paste syringes. High Gain Recuperate powers performance and recovery. Visit the High Gain website and use promo code johntap.racing to receive 15% off your next Recuperate purchase.